things are getting topsy-turvy atop the Premier League between Arsenal and Manchester City. We have more great Champions League football to watch and plenty more to cover today on the supporter section. Grab your scars. We start right now. Well, welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 58 of the supporter section podcast. Please go ahead and leave a like and please subscribe if you have not already, because today's episode is going to be a belter. I have my two good friends here with me today, Stephen Curl and Brandon Pacenick. Fellas, always a pleasure to see you. And I want to begin our week with the question of, are you more excited for more Champions League football or the big return of Major League Soccer. Brandon, I'll begin with you. Where do you land, Champions League or MLS? I, I have to admit, I haven't really been following the MLS offseason as closely as I would like to have been. I think maybe with the whole World Cup, straight into more football, straight into European football, like it just really kept me going, so I haven't really paid much attention to it. But I will get into it. I Trust me, I will. So it's got to be Champions League. Uh, you have a big matchup, which we'll talk about later. Liverpool versus Real Madrid. Super excited about that. My dark horse, Inter Milan, is playing. Super excited about that. So some really good games this week there. So I'd probably say Champions League over MLS this week. Steve I'm on the opposite side. I'm excited about MLS. Um, yeah, I've been... I've been Getting really excited, monitoring Atlanta United. I think it's out of all the years of misery, out of these past couple, two, three years, of uh, the club not really doing that much. And I have a lot of anticipation for this season, excited about our new signings. And I think about Champions League, and I think about Tottenham being 1-0 down versus AC Milan. And I'm not ready for that heartbreak yet. So I have some cause for optimism this weekend uh, against San Jose. So I'm excited for MLS. I'm excited to see what this season holds. Um, so yeah. You know, I am excited for MLS. There's a lot of good things happening. The whole new MLS season pass with Apple, I think, is going to be really good for the league in the long run. So just being able to watch almost every game is really exciting. And yeah, just being able to support your local teams is always fun. So yeah, having Atlanta United back in town, excited to have that. So MLS, it's back. Get ready for it, people. But we're going to start our first segment of the day as we do with the Golden Scarf. This goes to the person, team, thing, or whatever we thought deserves some praise from the previous week. And I'll get us started with the man who just cannot stop scoring. It is Marcus Rashford getting two more goals. He has been unstoppable since the World Cup. Um, just, it's crazy, guys. He just looks so good. And all the doubters that were hating on him a year ago, two years ago, are being silenced for sure right now. But I do want to give a special shout-out to Mallory Swanson. She has been killing it in the She Believes Cup for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, since the start of the new year, she has been on fire. So do want to give a shout-out to our U.S. Women's Team. But, Steve, who do you have as your Golden Scarf of the Week? Yes, um, I talked about them a little bit last week. It's going to be the Liverpool front three uh, all sharing a scarf uh, this week for me with uh, Darwin Nunez getting on the goal scoring sheet uh, with an awesome assist by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, Cody Gakpo scoring again back-to-back Premier League games off an assist by Mo Salah. Liverpool look, dare I say, back to their best. Um, two two-o defeats, I mean wins or whatever. What you want to call it? Uh, and their past two games versus Everton and more convincingly against Newcastle. There was a red card. We'll get into that a little bit later. 
but the front three at least are looking like they're jiving up top. So it's got to start somewhere. Might as well start at the top. So hopefully this bleeds for the rest of the team as well. It's a good call. Yeah, I'll hop in. I, I like both of those. Um, God, Marcus Rashford is so good. Um, but I'll, I'll do a little homer call here and say Ollie Watkins, four goals in the last four games, uh, which puts him on seven goals on the year in the Premier League. Um, really just simply put, when Aston Villa look awful, there's usually a shining light. Name Ollie Watkins, who is the, is the silver lining at the end of the day. He works his socks off. He's hard to deal with. Um, and most of our chances recently, like I said, have been coming through him. So hopefully he can keep that form up, but scoring another goal this weekend, four and four, love the guy. Heck yeah. Always got to give that hometown crew. That moves us nicely into match week 24 in the premier league. Um, we set up the big game. We maybe called the game of the season between Arsenal and Manchester city. That match week 12 reschedule moved all the way to February. And this one, well, guys, it had a big effect on the Premier League table for only two or three days uh, because Manchester City, they did get the win 3-1. to one. De Bruyne, Grealish, and Holland, all with goals from open play. And then Saka getting the consolation uh, goal from a penalty. Um, but some overall thoughts on the game, guys. I know um, the effect on it was that Manchester City did briefly take the lead um, in the Premier League on goal differential. Uh, but really, Brandon, for you, is this um, a sign of things to come down the season with Manchester City? Um, where are we landing after this whole um, City-Arsenal game? Yeah, I thought uh, Manchester City looked way better than Arsenal, to be honest. Um, you really saw the difference in class <laughs> on, on the weekend. or Actually, that game was in the middle of the week. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I didn't. It wasn't a bad game. Like Arsenal didn't play poorly. They were just fine, and made too many mistakes for for Manchester City. So uh, Manchester City took advantage of it with, I mean, three. I mean, their whole team is stacked. But De Bruyne, Grealish, and Holland scoring. I think De Bruyne had an assist as well uh, for Holland's goal. I'm pretty sure. So <clears throat> they were so good, and I I really started to think, and I think we talked about last week, if Arsenal go and lose this game. In the fashion that I thought they might, like they did, um, the title would be, you know, sort of shifting into Man City's hands. Uh, but as we know, the weekend came around and that changed. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, um, I think that, I don't know, I'll push back a little bit on, I don't think Arsenal looked bad. I think they responded very well after going down a goal. Um, I just think it was... Uh, yeah, I think you saw Man City's class here. I think Arsenal didn't look great, obviously, but I don't think they looked poor. I'm still kind of on the Arsenal train for them winning the league. Um, but, I mean, they responded well. I mean, Man City's going to have these kinds of games, and at the end of the day, they are chasing Arsenal. That's the reality of the situation. Um, and I think Arsenal still looks very sound. I still think they're playing very sound football. Um and I don't think they've looked necessarily inconsistent even in their losses. But it was a good game. It was a great game. Anytime these two teams are going to play each other, it's going to be so tantalizing and exciting. And you just have Man United just licking their chops on the window outside, looking in, just hoping these teams destroy each other. But it was it was a great game. Um, credit to Man City. Credit to De Bruyne. Credit to Holland doing what they're supposed to do, what they're paid to do. So 
um, players when they all come together on a team like Man City, it's it's amazing to watch, and it was it was it was a fun game. Yeah, you mentioned Manchester United. They do like watching kind of that mutually assured destruction between two uh, powerhouses, and they're sort of sitting on the side, just waiting potentially for their chance to swoop in. But as I mentioned, the table uh, didn't last very long because Arsenal would go on to beat Aston Villa 4-2 and a pretty well-fought game. And then Man City very surprisingly drew against Nottingham Forest, shifting those scales back in Arsenal's favor. So now it looks like Arsenal on top with 54 points, City second on 52 points. So yeah, guys, we've seen uh, Arsenal and City have some fluctuating performance at the front nine. Um, with Holland and the lack of Gabriel Jesus for Arsenal. Um, so going forward in the rest of the season, are both of these teams' struggles going to come from their striker position? Is that going to be the Achilles heel for both squads, Brandon? What do you think? Yeah, oddly enough, I think it will be. Uh, I think the seasons will probably depend on Arsenal, one, getting uh, Gabriel Jesus back. I think they are really starting to miss him, but they aren't missing goals necessarily, which is great, but I think that... M- could start to run out once teams in the second half of the season start start to batten down the hatches and you know teams that really really need points aka the whole bottom half of the table because it's so close down there um arsenal might not have as much luck scoring so many goals but yeah eddie and Ketty has really hit a rough patch of form recently uh missing two clear chances in the man city game not scoring against aston villa um no cold contributions at all in the past five games um, in all competitions, that is. I, I really do think they need Gabriel Jesus back as quickly as possible um, to bolster that attack. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's maybe world of hinge. I think Arsenal might, oddly enough, though, have the edge over City in, in goal scoring this year, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but hmm. yeah. Steve, are you worried or think that these teams, is it going to come down to that number nine position? Well, I think Brandon touched on a little bit with Nketiah kind of falling out of form. But you also look at Martinelli. He's not doing what he was doing at the beginning of the season. Uh, neither is Thomas Partey. We were talking about him being potentially one of the best midfielders in the Premier League this season. Um, and still having a fantastic year, but has hit a rough patch of recent. But that's just going to happen. Um, to me, again, I think the way Arsenal are losing games, like, like if Nketiah puts a chance away in the beginning of the game, like that's a completely different game. And dare I say, Arsenal could easily win. Um, and you look at that in two ways of, okay, he didn't finish, didn't happen, and they lost. Or, hey, this is encouraging, this is positive from Arsenal. It's not like the chances aren't coming. Um, and they have been putting these chances away. That's, in general, this season. That's why they're at the top of the table. So um, I think you have your two camps of maybe Arsenal fans that the sky is falling, and the other that, hey, you know, we lost to Manchester City one of the best teams in the Premier League over the past 10 years. So um, to each their own, I, I'm more confident again on Arsenal. The number nine position I'm not as worried about. Um, for honestly, City or Arsenal, uh, I mean, City have Erling Holland up front with 26 goals. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. And you got to expect him to get back on form. If not him, Julian Alvarez. If not him, false nine. Like, they have a million options. I'm not worried about them scoring goals. Uh, but I think Arsenal, it's just a case of a couple players falling out of form and playing against really good sides that you can't miss an open header against Manchester City and expect to win the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I think Arsenal, they're going to be concerned if they just need to make sure uh, Bukayo Saka stays healthy 
And then Manchester City, they need to figure out how to fix their leaky defense. Um, they've had some issues recently getting results, and part of that is the defense, especially of Rodri, playing out of the back, has not been uh, good for them. So we'll see how things turn out. So much soccer left to see, and these teams, I think, still play each other, um, I want to say, in March, perhaps. So still another huge matchup to come. Well, a fun matchup that did happen was Brighton and Fulham. These two teams fighting for European spots. And this one came all the way to the very end until we got our first goal. I'm talking about an 88th minute winner from Manor Salomon to take Fulham up into sixth place. And the table jumping over Brighton. Um, and we talked about how bad the money line for this game was. Um, we were correct. It should have been different. Um, but yeah, we, we could have bet on it. But you know, we didn't. That just happens sometimes. Um, but Brandon, uh, does this game show how good both of these teams are? It was a great match, uh, but it just shows their quality between each other, right? Yeah, I think so. I think they're pretty... I think they've deserved their spot on the table, to be completely honest. Uh, Brighton absolutely dominated the game. If you go back and watch the highlights, Brighton had so many chances to score, but it's been a Brighton issue now for the past three years. They play amazing football, and if they would just put, like, 70% of their chances away, 50% of their chances away. I don't know, it just seems like they're always missing their chances. They would just put some a couple more of those away. They could be in the top four easy. Like, they are that good, and they fully deserve to win against Fulham. i got to be completely honest about that. But Fulham, being opportunistic, took their, their one, basically one chance in the game, it seemed like, at the in the 88th minute goal. And they move on, they hop up into six, and uh, both of these teams are... Are doing really, really well this year. Yeah, Steve, do you have a preference of who finishes higher, uh, Fulham or Brighton? I mean, I feel like we've been singing Matoma's praises uh, the entire season so far, but I I gotta go with Fulham. Uh, two Americans on the team, um, and I've always been endeared to the club of Fulham. Uh, so I, I mean, I love both these clubs. It, it's kind of like the European places is the girl. And Fulham and Brighton are the guys that are just fighting over who's going to get it. But you kind of want both to win, but there can only be one, probably. Mm, um, great illustration. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It just came to me. That's just what I do. Um, but, yeah, I hope Fulham. But you just love the story of Tim Ream. Uh, I think that's my main motivation behind it, just being an absolute star for Fulham. Uh, so I'm on Tim Ream's team. I hope Fulham finish above Brighton, but I'm not upset either way. Hmm. Well, uh, teams that have had upheaval recently and, you know, teams that are going to have to take sides if we're talking about who we want up and down, potentially Everton and Leeds, uh, sort of a weird game. Seamus Coleman, a name that has been around a long time, gets on the score sheet with sort of a weird goal. But hey, a goal is a goal. That does not matter. And it's a win that takes Everton into 16th and drops Leeds into 19th. Uh, guys, any takeaways from this game, and are we taking sides moving forward? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think the I don't I don't want to choose sides, but I think Leeds. Okay, when they played Manchester United, they looked really good. I think they you know they just played they played really well, and under Marsh, I thought they were playing well as well. This game was weird. They did not look good and like their normal selves. If you know, the, if we're calling Manchester United those games the normal games, um, yeah, it looks like they really digressed under uh, this new manager. Um, and so, 
if I was a Leeds fan, obviously alarms are already ringing, but when you see their their quality start to digress, you're going to get scared, especially when it's against a relegation opponent like Everton is. I mean, it was a six-pointer. You lose. Then you have a big game coming up this next week, which we'll talk about. So um, congrats to Everton. Weird goal, but it goes in, and they hang on basically for dear life, winning one nothing, just like Sean Dyche loves to do. And uh, Leeds, got to start asking questions. They do. They do. And they, they uh, need to have some questions asked about their interim manager position. They've said that they're going to stick with Skabala. Um, does that add to their trouble, Steve, with just sticking with the interim manager, not actually hiring a bona fide coach? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you really – you had to say something because you fired Jesse Marsh. The big question was who you're hiring, who you're hiring. Um but I will say when you commit to an interim manager and you say, I believe the statement was for the rest of the season, like moving forward, uh, you're kind of pigeonholed. What if he loses the next two, three games? Um, then it's you're going back on your word. You didn't have a clear vision. If you're a Leeds front office right now, you can kind of argue that we just needed a shift change. We needed Marsh out and we believe in Skubali or Skubala. But it, you're stuck now, kind of. Um you can still go out and hire somebody, but there's definitely, to answer your question, yes. The pressure is definitely on how this decision was made, the skepticism around if Leeds even had other potential candidates lined up, and it's time for results to speak. We are in the twilight time of the season. Results matter. Points are hard fought for. Wins are huge. Um, and Leeds doesn't look like they want any wins or points or anything and stuff like that. So they better figure it out because especially it's a blow against a team like Everton uh, that is fighting for their lives, that did hire a manager, and that did just deal you a pretty big blow. Um, so pressure is on Leeds. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like they're just going deeper and deeper and deeper into that relegation zone. It's just... They're in, they're in big trouble now. I mean, I just feel like consistency and continuity is always your best friend. It doesn't matter, you know. I mean, obviously, we know results matter because every point matters. But firing Jesse Marsh when they did, how they did it, a lack of clarity moving forward of what they're going to do just feels like that hurts the squad. It hurts the team. Um, they're just what, what motivation is there moving forward? I don't know. I'm not in that locker room, but I just feel like Things are going downhill, and 19th, you're behind West Ham, uh, Bournemouth, who just got a win, Everton, who we just talked about, Sean Dyche is trying to turn things around. It's it's looking pretty bleak. Uh, there's not a whole lot of room to move upwards right now with Leeds United, so I'm concerned um, for these Leeds United States um, and our American boys. It's, it's definitely looking bleak out there, um, but hey, we'll see. Lots of time to turn things around, potentially just scrape some points. Uh, but I feel like Sean Dyche is the master at doing that and will prevent lead, leads from jumping over them. Some other games around the grounds. We had Man United. They beat Leicester City 3-0. Newcastle loses their second game of the season to none else than Liverpool 2-0. That is Newcastle's first loss since August 31st, which, guess, you know, it came against Liverpool as well. 2-1 uh, was that result, so... Both losses coming against the Reds. The Reds are starting to turn things about around a little bit, um, so we'll see how those two teams react moving forward. Tottenham, they rebound with a win over West Ham. Youngman's son comes off the bench and scores. 
Steve, quick, I, just, I do want a quick question. Is this going to work in the short term for Sonny to start off the bench with a start with Charleston starting in 11? What do you think? Uh, yes and no. Um, Sun is a starter. That's the quality of him. He won the Golden Boot last year. These are the facts. He's a quality starter. Um, however, to have a player be able to come off the bench and display what Sun has, I believe it's four goals and two sub appearances and one goal in 20 starts in the Premier League this season for Youngman Sun. Um, that's huge for him. He loves it. He takes it as a positive. He starts on the bench, comes off, gets a goal. It's huge for him. Motivates him to get back in the starting 11. So Tottenham being a three in competition so far, um, still standing. It, it gives Tottenham some leeway to kind of tinker with their starting lineups in these games. And so it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Sun scoring off the bench. Is it a long-term thing? Absolutely not. Um, but for the time being, uh, all I care about is goals and results for Tottenham, and that's what we got. So it's all it's all sunny for me over here. <laughs> I hate myself. Good point. Yeah, I do too. Well, on to match week 25. We'll give you guys a little bit of a preview of the matches and things that you should have your eye on. We'll begin with Brandon's club, Aston Villa. They go up against Everton. Uh, Everton have 21 points. Villa have 28th. Those teams sit 16th and 11th respectively and since Aston Villa have come back up to the Premier League in 2019 they have not even lost to Everton they have five wins and two draws but current form might be the big factor here Villa have lost the last three games and Everton since Sean Dyche has come in are have a win loss and a win to their record so Brandon with Everton at home winning two of their last three are you worried are the villain Army, are they worried about dropping a fourth game in a row to Everton? This will be a really good test to see where we're at. I mean, we're pretty comfortably mid-table like you just outlined. So the season is relatively a wash, which I hate to say. But three three losses on the bounce. Two of them were the, to the top two teams. One was to a weird Leicester who then the next week went and beat Tottenham by four goals or whatever it was. So it's like that that's a weird thing that just happens in the Premier League. Um, I'm not too worried about this, to be completely honest. I think Aston Villa can approach this game in two different ways. Unai Emery is a way better manager than Sean Dyche. Um, you know, we can play possession-based football and win one nothing. just, you know, scrape it. Um, or we can use Everton's tactics against them where we sort of just bunker and counter. Um, either way, I'm totally fine with, and I think Unai Emery can do either. I think the guys, our players, are way better than Everton's players all across the pitch. So I'm not too worried um, because we have been playing relatively well. It will be a... It'll have to be a full performance, I guess I'll say. It's going to be relatively ugly. Um, Sean Dyche is going to try to get in the mix, which I totally respect. Um, it's at Everton, which, you know, it's a tough place to go. Really, really tough place to go. So I'm very hopeful that we will win or at least get a result. Um, but, you know, the bias lenses are on. I want to hear what Steve has to say about that. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be, I think this has draw written all over it, um, in my opinion. I think Sean Dyche is texting Unai Emery right now saying, hey man, come on, three losses in a row, you know, draw isn't that bad, uh, help us stay up. You don't want to see us not in the Premier League. Um, 
I think that's what it'll be. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting, like you were saying, Brandon. I could see Villa using Everton's tactics against them. I think it's a very good point. They have a ton of Villa has a ton of speed on their roster. Um, that I could see them exploiting Everton. Um, but yeah, my my money's on a draw here, probably. Uh, maybe a late dramatic random Coleman cross goal win, but I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think I don't think Everton win this game. But I think it's a very difficult game. I think it's very physical. And like Brandon said, it's a huge test for Villa to see where they're at. Uh, I'm not too worried about those three losses in a row for Villa either. But at the same time, if they come away with this with a loss against Everton, it starts to get a little, okay, y'all, like what the hell's going on here? So um, I think it's big for Villa to not lose this game. I think it's big for them to get a win, but I think they're fine with a draw. I don't know, but yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, on to West Ham and Nottingham Forest. West Ham have 20 points in 18th. Nottingham Forest have 25 points, and they sit 13th in a bit of good form. Um, And in August of 2022, these teams face off for the first time in all competitions since 2014. That was in an FA Cup match in which Forest won five stinking to nil. Uh, The matchup in August, um, sorry, the FA Cup, was 5-0. The matchup in August ended in a 1-0 win for Forrest as well. So, things are going to be a little bit interesting. West Ham, like we just talked about, just came off of that loss to Tottenham. Um, so, lots of things could happen. Um, but I'm looking at the addition of Kaylor Navas and Chris Wood, who just scored against uh, Manchester City in that 1-1 draw. Uh, Brandon, are Forrest favorites against West Ham right now? I would say they probably are slightly. Uh, they're starting to play some really good football, and um, Steve Cooper is really getting his team, his 30 signings or whatever it is, to start to gel, and they look pretty good. Um, but according to the bookies, West Ham is minus 130 to win. Uh, that is astonishing. I'm not sure why that is. Um, it starts to make me think about like, am I watching the games or are they not watching the games? Like what's going on? But I think I watch enough football to understand what's happening. Um, that shouldn't, that's a, that's a bad money line. So, um, yeah, weird there, but I think for me, Forrest is the favorite in this game. Steve, who's your favorite? Yeah, I think it's Forrest. Not by a lot. I think it's by a hair. Um, it's funny. Whether I watch Sky Sports, ESPN, insert, you know, whatever football pundits, and when asked about West Ham, they go, is this team better than relegation football? And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, at the end, end of the day, I mean, results speak for themselves. And right now they're playing relegation football. That's the reality. And you know who's not? Nottingham Forest drawing Manchester City. So... Someone's got to wake up and smell the roses, whether it's David Moyes, West Ham players. The only one that seems to want to do anything for West Ham right now is Jared Bowen. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I do think Nottingham Forest are favorites here. Um, the money line's absolutely insane. Um, but, yeah, this if West Ham lose this game, they're already in the bottom three right now. But if they lose this game, it's... It's it's panic time. It, I mean, it's it's panic time. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago when they played Everton, and they ended up winning, but they gotta get things going here. And so Nottingham Forest, a team that I think all of three of us had picked to maybe even go down this year, 
they're staying up it to me it looks like they're staying up um they're in good form bringing chris wood and kaylor Navasin is absolutely wild in january transfer window um yeah, I'm a big I'm a big Nottingham Forest guy. I hope he, Jesse Lingard gets to hit the flute against his uh, former loan club uh, coming up. Yeah, man, West Ham are so weird. Playing European football in the same season that you might get relegated, so strange. Um, their biggest competitor right now in the table is Bournemouth. It's like, I mean, you could rely on Bournemouth to kind of start sucking a little bit and drop some points, but they literally just got a win against Wolves, so um, West Ham have to fight for themselves here, and like you said, not a whole lot of fight in that team, and it's, yeah, it's looking rough for the Hammers. Um, I'm not sure if they can pull it off or not. I mean, they really, really are, um, it, like I said with Leeds, it looks bleak with Leeds. It's looking even worse for West Ham right now as well. Um, but speaking of Leeds, they're taking on Southampton, more bottom-dweller matchups. These are meaning a lot these days. And since Leeds have come up in 2019, they have two wins, two draws, and only one loss against Southampton. Um, their form, obviously, is not good. In Southampton, they've won two out of their last five. Um, both teams still without permanent managers. My goodness. Leeds, since stacking Je Jesse Marsh, have decided to stick with their caretaker, like we talked about, Scubala. And Southampton just fired Nathan Jones after only 14 games. They'll be managed by their caretaker, um, Ruben Seles. Oof. He did get a win against Chelsea last week, though, so you do have to be kind of optimistic. Um, but if you had to back a team, Steve, to get the result in the game, is there any choice or is it just a wash? It is a wash. I don't think any of these teams go for it. I think both these teams are feeling immense pressure. Um, I think oddly enough, I think both, I think Leeds obviously is more pleased with the draw being higher up on the table. Um, Southampton just getting a win against Chelsea. You have some momentum going on. They have James Ward Prowse, phenomenal leader. You could argue he's probably leading the team more than their interim manager right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think this game will be very entertaining. However, I, I really would be surprised if there's a result um, out of this because the result is huge. I mean, it's the game of the week for me. Um, this is the kind of point of the season where you start looking at the bottom of the table and getting excited about those games almost as much as the top of the table with Arsenal and Man City um, because, you know, going to the championship's a different realm. So, uh, But yes, to answer your question, I think it's going to be a wash. Um, if there's a winner, it's going to be a great game. So you got to tune in on it this week for sure. Brandon, if Leeds loses at home you know, or just looks really poor again, um, you know, dropping to the bottom of the table potentially, um, what kind of questions are going to be asked? Probably starting to look at the board maybe on some change up the top. What do you think? I would. I would. I don't know what's going on in Leeds as far as, like, uh, their supporters. I, I'm, I know they're not happy, but um, I don't know if they're in panic mode yet. And I, I – if I were them, I really would be. I'd be very anxious. Um, you f you back a manager. We I feel like we've exhausted this point. You back a manager in January. You break the transfer record for your club on on one player. You then fire him. What two games later? A game later. Um, you didn't have anything lined up. Obviously, you had nothing lined up, which is bad. 
and then you say we're going to stick with Scubala. That's totally fine. Scubala and his two minions or whatever. <laughs> um, it's like, and, and then you start looking really bad. So if, if you see the trajectory, it's, it's starting to write out relegation is what, is what it's starting to write. And after waiting so long to get back up into the Premier League, you enjoyed, what is it, three years now up here? You'd really hate for this big club to go down. You would really hate it. So you would easily start asking questions of the board and, and the management. Um, I think they're they're fine to be where they're at. I think 17th to like 15th is really their range. But that's not – if I was a Leeds fan, that wouldn't be good enough for me. So, yeah, I think pressure is, is already there, but definitely starting to mount more and more. And if they don't get a result, if they, if they lose, they will go bottom of the table – and Leeds might it might be it become a bad atmosphere <laughs> inside that stadium, um, but who knows? Who yeah, knows? We'll have to see. real quick, uh, Leeds coming in with no wins in their past five games. Southampton with two wins in their past five games. Um, like they're winning some games, they're losing some games. Southampton, but. They're winning. Uh, I don't remember the last time their Leeds was winning, even with Jesse Marsh at the helm. It's that's why I got sacked. Obviously, um, it's it's getting to the point of the season where draws aren't really going to do it, and three points are bigger than one. Uh, so, and Southampton's been getting these results. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit more. I'm I kind of got my money on Southampton with a little bit of momentum going on at their club. I think Leeds has the better team though, uh, yeah. which is so weird. Like they have, they actually have a lot of money on the field and like kind of good. They good enough to attacking players, I think, to stay up, but they're just not getting it done. So it's it's straight gonna come down to spirit, fight, and grit, and you're gonna see it in this game. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. There is another team that has some questions swirling around it. And you wouldn't have expected it coming in this season, but there's been a lot of turnover, some turmoil, and managerial changes. I'm talking about Chelsea. They go to visit Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Tottenham's in fourth place right now. Chelsea are in sixth, or sorry, six spots behind them in tenth place. Not at all what you would have expected a year ago, um, considering this, especially since the 2015-16 season, where Chelsea have won eight games, Tottenham have only won three games, and they've drawn four. Chelsea have dominated this series recently, and it's looking like Tottenham has a really good opportunity to get a big, big win at home against a struggling Chelsea side. Um, Chelsea, their form have only one win out of five. They've had three draws and one loss. They're not looking good. They just lost in the Champions League. They just lost in the Premier League recently. Like it's, it's looking rough. Uh, but my question, Steve, as a Tottenham fan, as a guy who's not always the most optimistic. It's looking like a pretty good opportunity to get a win at home for the first time in five years, wouldn't you say? Ah, you see, you'd want to, you'd want to think that. Seventeen-year-old um, Stephen, please step into my classroom. All right, here's the thing: Tottenham gets a good result, top four. Nah, they're not going to continue that form. I really don't think that Tottenham's going to win. I don't. I think it'll be a draw. Uh, I could see Tottenham losing, but I don't think they're going to win. I hope we do. 
I love this. I love Tottenham. I love it so much. But the reality is that Tottenham has not beaten Chelsea in the Premier League in five years. Um, and I could see it happening. Could Tottenham win 2-0? Could they win 2-1? Could they lose 3-0? And the answer is yes. It's one of the only clubs in the top six, honestly, to which all these results make sense, being a Tottenham fan. So... If you're new to the Tottenham uh, bandwagon, I'm sorry you chose us, but strap in, buckle in. It's going to be a great game. These games have produced um, some very fiery matchups, some intense handshakes, some battles at some bridges. Uh, So I think it's going to be a high-intense game. Chelsea's looking to prove a point that they don't suck. Tottenham's uh, looking to prove a point that they belong in the top four. So it's going to be a good game. Am I convinced that, oh yeah, Tottenham. I really think they can get it done this week against Chelsea. I, I don't think so, but um, we'll see. The blood pressure is going to be up, but I can't wait. I was going to say, it's less of a bandwagon and more of the Tottenham Hotspur experience. It's like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're pushing 10 Gs of just frustration, and you're just like, I don't know what's going on. You're ups and you're downs, like turns. It's a wild ride, and it is, it, it is crazy to think about in relation to Chelsea the last time this match happened, we had Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte going up against each other. Conte visiting um, Stanford Bridge. Obviously, he won the Premier League with Chelsea. Um, and yeah, it was fiery. It was feisty. It was everything that you would have wanted from a, a London derby. And we got it. A late draw, Harry Kane header, all the stuff. But now this is a totally different Chelsea team on the field, behind the bench, all of it. It's all different. And I do hope Tottenham can finally just get over the hump get the big one at home over Chelsea, um, get the monkey off your back, and continue a little bit of form under Christian Cellini, who is 5-0 and as a manager, um, more of a caretaker under Antonio Conte since he's had you know, suspensions, but most recently his gallbladder surgery. So I'm optimistic. I want the win. We need the win to stay in the top four above Newcastle. Um, but hey, who knows? Chelsea apparently can pull a rabbit out of their hat sometimes with the squad they've kind of put together uh, a bit rashly. But we have more happening in the football world. We have Champions League. where We got the chance to see PSG and Bayern, that 2020 matchup, go down. We had AC Milan Tottenham, Club Rouge Benfica, and Dortmund Chelsea. But we're going to start with that final rematch where Bayern dominated the first half with 10 shots, four from inside the box, four corners, and 57% of the possession. They also helped PSG to just one Shot, not even on goal, and zero corners, guys. Um, the second half did have a little bit more competition, um, but a beautiful goal came in the 53rd minute, a looping cross to Kingsley Coman, who, if you remember, was a PSG player. Uh, one touch pass into the net. Brandon, should Donnarana have done more to be able to save this ball, maybe? Yeah, that as top class as Donnarumma is, he should be saving that shot. It basically lands in his arm basket. He just fumbled fumbled it, I guess, and it, and it went in. Um, should definitely be saving it, but it was a great goal. Beautiful looping cross from Alfonso Davies. Um, Coman takes it one time, and um, yeah, Byron looked really good. Steve, did you get the chance to see a little bit more of this one? Just watch the highlights, um, but... I mean, I think we expected a Bayern win. Uh, Mbappe coming off the bench and all that fun stuff. Neymar got hurt. That's a big thing. Uh, not to sidebar us too much, but Neymar got hurt. 
and it's probably going to be out for a couple of weeks. So I think Bayern fans are going to be pretty upset that they don't get to play against Neymar anymore. Uh, the front three of PSG honestly just simply haven't worked with Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see how PSG line up in the in the return fixture. Um, but yeah, Bayern just a well-oiled football machine like we all expected. Yeah, like you said, Mbappe had some chances, called back for outside in the build-up. Uh, Messi had some good looks in the 84th minute. Um, but yeah, it's going to be hard to see PSG really come back in that second leg. Um, that Bayern machine, they're just so good, top to bottom, front to back. Uh, like we talked about adding Cancelo. You still have Afonso Davies to play. Like Having those two players in the same position is just outrageous. Yeah. Um, but having no Neymar... Potentially, I don't know how long it might be, um, will be really hard for PSG. Um, is our hope, Brandon, do you think, for PSG to be able to return the second leg and have any sort of comeback mounted? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Mbappe sits out the rest of the league own games until this next matchup. I know he was dealing with an injury, and that's why he started on the bench in this game, came on, but it was an immediate impact. He, I mean, one of the best players in the world. He's, of course, going to have that impact. And... Um, I think he will lift hopes of definitely PSG fans, but hopefully of the team as well. Because when you know when you have a player like that on your squad, anything can happen. We saw it in the World Cup; he could do it to Bayern. Um, so it's it's going to have to really come from the magicians of Mbappe and Messi if they're going to want to go through. Um, I just I just can't really see that happening. We'll get into it next week. Yeah, we'll see. Steve, give us the rundown on that Tottenham AC Milan game. It was uh, not a good result for the boys. Ah, uh, yes. When I think of this matchup, I think of the Spider-Man meme of them all pointing at each other, if you know what I'm talking about. And it's like, you're the imposter. No, you're the imposter. And the answer is yes. Um, this was not a great matchup. Uh, not really surprisingly. Um, really, all the action happened in the beginning of this game. Um... Teo Hernandez uh, won a really like, crashing header against Romero and then still contains the ball at his feet, takes on Eric Dyer, gets the shot off on Tottenham's standing goalkeeper, Forrester, um, which the ball pops off Forrester to the middle of the 18-yard box. Brahim Diaz takes the shots. Forrester makes another save again up in the air, but Diaz finishes it off with the header. Um, and honestly, from then on out, it was Tottenham shooting from 30 yards out. Um... Emerson, uh, Papasar in the middle of the field, also shooting for 30 yards out. Um, honestly, the best chance, maybe there's a there's a free kick taken on which Sun whipped the ball in pretty pretty quick into Harry Kane, had a headed chance, and it was on goal. Um, I think with that much velocity, it may could have gone in, but it wasn't really anything but half chances the rest of the game for Spurs. Um, but, you know, you, you get out of there with down 1-0, Eh. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Like, Tottenham's not going to be too upset, I think. Uh, playing the second leg at home, uh, I feel like you always want to be in that position uh, in competitions like these. So I'm feeling good about Tottenham just because of the matchup that we have in AC Milan. Um, they have Zlatan on the bench. Like, that's the reality of AC Milan, and I'm not going to trash talk them. Tottenham's not in the greatest spots either, but hey, we're top four. We're in some decent league form like we touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, if we get a win against Chelsea, maybe we get some momentum going, but the game itself didn't really bring that much 
to the to the neutral. Um, I'm sure most people were probably watching the Bayern game, um, other than Cole and I. But uh, but hey, Tottenham's in Champions League, so that's fun. And we love yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't the it wasn't the most ideal return to Italy for Antonio Conte, and he obviously uh, struggled so much that he had to stay there for more recovery from his surgery. But yeah, Sonny's Sonny's balls really were the best. Uh, his deliveries into the box were the best things um, that we had all game, honestly. I guess we didn't have many clear-cut chances. You feel bad for Forrester having the double save and then just having the third one just pop up and yeah. head it in. It's, it was a bit unfortunate. Um, you might have could have gotten away with a nil-nil draw if just maybe it's period away a little bit further away from the goal on something, but he really was at full stretch on those saves and not much you can do. Um, tough being 1-0 down, but like you said, being at home the second time um, should be beneficial for Tottenham. Well, Club Bruges, they hosted Benfica and lost 2-0 to Benfica. Um, Brandon, what did you see from this one? You know, Benfica didn't dom- dominate the game as maybe many would have thought. Uh, it was a pretty open game in the first half, with both teams actually having really decent chances at goal, but surprisingly there, no goals were scored in the first half. Um, with the, the goals came from mistakes in the second half, which is sort of sad to see a, a pretty good game just go that route. But it did. Um, within the first five minutes of the second half, Bruges gives away a penalty um, that is put away, putting Benfica up one nothing, obviously. And it took a while to get the second goal, uh, but it came in the 88th minute off of a terrible defensive mistake. I think it was like a back pass that was like a suicide pass. And um, the Benfica player just basically stole it off the off the defender and was one on one with the keeper and put it away. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've it's Benfica's one of those teams, right? They go under the radar in preseason. You're always like, oh, they're the underdog. They're the underdog. What are we expecting from this team? Well, they were really good in the group play, and they can just get results now. They're really good in in Portugal as well. Um, they're doing well in their domestic league. So uh, I'll ask Steven this, and you can pass it to Cole, but does this result punch Benfica's ticket into the next round? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, they're the better team. Um, and like you said, if you're winning a game in which you didn't look dominant 2-0, that's a good sign. Um, and so I think Benfica's through the next round. They get the favorable draw against um, Club Bruges. Maybe some questions asked without Enzo Fernandez being on the roster. Um, but, you know, they looked good. A clean sheet's clean sheet, and regardless whether they look dominant or not, um, that two two goal differential going into that second leg is pretty tough to climb, um, especially when you're knowing you're going up against a better opposition, at least on paper. Uh, crazier things have happened, so I'm not going to write off Club Bruges, but if they took out Benfica, it would be a shocker. So I'm expecting uh, Benfica to punch their ticket this time next week. It would be fun to see Bruges come back. I mean, like you said, we've seen insane things happen in Champions League, but they would have had a lot better of an opportunity if they weren't going to Benfica. Um, you know, being on the road is really, really tough, especially in the Champions League. It feels like those uh, supporters bring the atmosphere even more in those games. So it's like, yeah, I feel like I feel like Benfica sort of punched their way in the next round already with that result against Bruges. But hey, much to play for. We'll see what happens in the second leg. Um, but a team that just continues to not score, it's almost like death taxes and Chelsea not scoring goals is sort of a motto that's uh, being engraved over them. 
Um, Chelsea, they had numerous opportunities to score, um, but Dortmund hold things uh, firm. They hold out, and on the counter in the 68th minute, Kareem Adeyemi burns the new signing Enzo Fernandez and then dribbles the ball around Keppa to add to Graham Potter's misery. And Dortmund win 1-0. And really for me, it's just like, is it bad luck at this point? Are they just like, what is it? Are they just a bona fide middle-of-the-road team under Graham Potter, Steve? Like, what's the deal with Chelsea? I just don't understand. I mean, they, they, they had a shot that was on the goal line. It's cleared away. Like, and they're inches away from scoring. Like, is it just bad luck or what? Oh, I mean, you could attribute it to Ruba's Loftus-Cheek being on loan at Fulham last year, and now he's starting in the midfield for you in the Champions League game with Kovacic on the bench. Uh, you could be talking about Ziyech being out one day, and now he's starting in a Champions League match that you probably need to win. Um, you could attribute it to Gal Felix missing some wide-open chances. Uh how about Kai Havertz, a number 10, playing in a striker role? Um, or, how? I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Like, this is a team that has no identity. Um, and you can fault Dortmund for maybe not making it. I think Dortmund's kind of that meme club. Like, oh, they're just, they're just short, just short, just short. Well, they have an identity. Um, and that was on full display this game. Chelsea had their chances. They honestly had their chances. It was a back-and-forth game, and it just seems like there's a curse, whether it be the crossbar and the Yao Felix chance, or uh, when Yao Felix put the ball 10 yards above the goal, 20 yards above the goal on that first chance he had. It just, just seems not to be falling right now for Chelsea, and I think the icing on the cake for me was Enzo Fernandez getting burned on that run uh, in which Dortmund ended up scoring. Um it's just there's 120 million pounds on the field, right, or however much that transfer fee was, but not his fault whatsoever. But it's just symbolic of this team and what they cannot do, and it's the money on the field just getting. I'm sorry I'm getting too philosophical with this, but like I literally saw this of 150 million pounds, however much the transfer was, and just some kid playing for Dortmund with heart, passion run past you, putting a goal away in front of the biggest crowd in the world at that moment. And that's just beautiful. Um, and you know what? what? Results can't get bought. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation for Chelsea. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of movement this offseason for them. But, yeah, man, it's – they just can't get it together. And I'm just – yeah, Grand Potter's in the hot seat, but – um. I don't even remember the question. I got so involved. But, yeah, it's it's just so sad for Chelsea. I'm a Tottenham fan, and I hate Chelsea. But, uh, I mean, it's you feel for them a little bit. Uh, not too much, but they just cannot score goals to save their lives. Yeah, it feels like Graham Potter is just throwing things at the wall, hoping they stick. And this particular time, he tried throwing something at the yellow wall, and it really didn't stick for them in Dortmund. But, hey, you know. We'll see what happens. Uh, moving on to the preview of the upcoming matches, we have a big rematch of the Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. Uh, Liverpool, they finished second in their group below Napoli. Madrid finished above Leipzig. And Liverpool have a decent run of forms. Neither here nor there. Only two wins, two losses, and a draw. Uh, Madrid have three wins, a loss, and a draw. So 
both teams definitely looking for a bit of a spark in the Champions League. Um, they've faced eight times in the past, all coming in the Champions League, of course. Uh, their first matchup did only come in 2009, though. Um, Liverpool, that time, they blanked uh, the Los Blancos 5-0 across two legs. But since then, Madrid have won five of the six matchups. And like we said, just last season, Liverpool were shocked in the Champions League final to Steve's Dark Horse, as many of you might remember, in the Champions League. Um, but hey, if Liverpool, you know, they've been on a good, decent little run here. Uh, 2-2-0 wins versus Everton and Newcastle. Is this cause for optimism versus the European and club World Cup champions, Brandon? I was saying it a couple weeks ago, something about the Champions League really gets Liverpool turned on. Um, take that however you will, but they really get fired up. And you're going to go up against one of the best opponents <laughs> you can in the first round. I mean, this is a great matchup. It's an amazing matchup. Um, but... Like we said, Los Blancos have dominated it since they played each other. So, really interested to see what happens in this first leg. Liverpool can take that recent form, though. Keep it in the forefront of their mind. Work really hard and play well against this Real Madrid side. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it could go a bunch of different ways. But they can definitely have some confidence going into this game against Real Madrid. And hopefully, maybe some revenge as the last season ended with a loss. Steve, are they really even dark horses at this point for you, Real Madrid? Or are they kind of the favorites at this point? Uh, I, favorites, I don't know. Maybe, probably. Champions, champions can't really be dark horses. Yeah, no, they're definitely not dark horses per se. But um, I tell you what, Liverpool's no pushover regardless of their domestic form right now. Uh, they do like the Champions League. And honestly, I kind of wish these teams were separated at this point so we could potentially watch maybe – a rematch in the final because I think Liverpool could be they could be those guys um but they won't get to find out uh they gotta go through Real Madrid I think it's too tall of a task but I think it's gonna be a good game uh I definitely don't think it'll look like um a top team former Champions Club winner against like a mid-table team in the English Premier League. It's not It's not going to look like that. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully you see a different Liverpool and a Liverpool team that's hopefully found their stride recently. Um, but yeah, Real Madrid, it's got to be the favorites, but it's, it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, it will be a great, great matchup. And we have another one, Frankfurt versus Napoli. Brandon, what's the scoop on these two teams going up against each other? Yeah, I think unsurprisingly, they've never faced off before. Uh, Frankfurt, if you remember, went on that amazing run to win the Europa League last year with their amazing fan support. Um, this year in the Champions League, Frankfurt finished second in the group below Spurs, and Napoli finished first in the group above Liverpool on an amazing run. They, they were insane, if you remember that. Um, on current form in the domestic leagues, Napoli has five wins. They've only Oof. they only have. Two losses all season, I think, is what I remember looking up. <laughs> They're insane. Wow. Um, Frankfurt's currently on a win-loss, win-draw-draw in the last five, so not awful, but not as good <laughs> as Napoli. Uh, I really want to highlight probably the best player in the world this year so far. Napoli, I think, is the best team in the world this year, but the best player in the world this year, arguably, is left winger Chavach 
uh, oh man, Havichka Kravatskelia. He's he's a I think he's from Georgia and not the state that we're from, <laughs> the actual country. So sorry if I butchered that because I definitely did. But and get this, just trying. I had to. I really had to. He's an amazing player. Go look him up. He's only 22 years old. Big money signings coming this summer. I'm telling you, somebody's coming in for him. But 24 games in all comps this year, right? 12 goals, 14 assists, and I think he's only wow. played something like close to 80% of the minutes. So this guy is on fire. Um, just I, I know a lot of people are talking about him, but if you haven't heard him, just go look him up, watch his highlight reel, just whatever, and watch this game. Watch him go at it because he's going to be phenomenal for them, and I think he's going to tear up Frankfurt. You know, Napoli, if we're going to talk about dark horses, they might be dark horse doubles this season. You know, like their form in Syria. Uh, Champions League, I mean, shoot, Steve, if you had to pick a team, would you rather have Napoli or Man City? Not rather have, but who do you think could have a better chance, Napoli or Man City, to win Champions League? Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a question, right? I mean, uh, you have Napoli, who's 62 points to Inter Milan's 47 points in Serie A, but it's, it's a very different league over there. So it's Manchester City... They haven't won Champions League. I don't, you can't ask me that question right now. I'll, I'm a romantic, so I'll go Napoli. Um, I can see it happening. It's it's seasons like these to where you see it happen. Napoli's won Serie A. They don't have to worry about that. And regardless of whatever Pep says, he doesn't care about the Premier League. We all know that's a load of BS. So you have Napoli focusing on one trophy this year because they already have Serie A in the bag. So... My money would be on Napoli if I had to pick between those two teams, but that's a, that's a tough question. That is a tough question. I just threw it at you real quick. Uh, Man City, they are taking on Leipzig in the Champions League. Uh, Leipzig, they finished behind Real Madrid in their group. Man City above Dortmund um, by five points, so pretty clear at the top of the table. Um, they did, these two teams, face off in the 2021 Champions League campaign. Man City won 6-3, to and then Leipzig did win 2-1. to um, so we'll see, like I just said, Man City, they're tournament favorites every year, um, but they've sort of yet to really kick it into gear, so this is probably a good time, Brandon, for them to really, um, get things into motion in the Champions League. Yeah, I really think so. Like you just said, they finished atop their group by five points, which is a lot. Um, they have to be going for this full full steam ahead like if they don't win the champions league this year even though i don't think this side is as deep as people will say maybe we've said in the past their starting 11 is so strong and then they're like next five subs are so strong so i think that's what what we sort of think about they really gotta kick it into gear they're, like we said champions league form hasn't been bad by any means league form just inconsistent, inconsistent. I think Holland and De Bruyne, maybe even Jack Grealish, I think these guys are are, are weathered. They're ready to go um, for this Champions League campaign. And I'm actually pretty excited to watch because I think it's just going to be something totally different than the Premier League. Um, and I think Red Bull, unfortunately, will will get that slap. Yeah, I, I want to see Pep kind of stick to his word. Yeah, saying, you know, we don't care about these other tournaments, but the Champions League is the one we want the most. Holland said the same thing before. These guys really, really want it. 
well, this is a great time to prove it. I want to see you destroy Leipzig. I want to see you, you know, put them in the dirt. And if you can't do that, then, you know, how can we believe that your word will come true? So good opportunity for them to really kick into gear in the Champions League, um, see where their season can go from here. But um, if Leipzig gets a goal early or gets anything early, I mean, they they know they've seen teams like Nottingham Forest just do it. They've seen Tottenham do it. That Man City is not a team that's unbeatable. So it will be interesting to see. You know, it's going to be who can get that first goal, I believe, um, will determine these two legs. But Man City, they should be favorites. They're just way too good. Um, leaps and bounds better than RB Leipzig for sure. Well, the last one that we'll focus on in the Champions League is Inter Milan. They host Porto. Entered, they finished second in their group. Eight points. That's even more than the five that Man City had in their group. Eight points behind Bayern. Porto finished on a last day jump over Club Bruges. Um, all their previous matchups came back in 2005. Um, they alternated victories. Inter won the first one 3-1, then Porto 2-0, and then Inter 2-1. Um, Porto have won five games in a row, so they're in great form. Um, Inter's probably a little bit worried about that. Um, Brand, this is your dark horse, Inter, coming into the tournament. Um, are they finding Porto at just the wrong time, or are they, can they still get it done against Porto? You know, I think it's going to be a really, really tough matchup. And honestly, probably the most entertaining this one could be for this uh, week's games. Um, Actually, probably not over Liverpool, Real Madrid, but in a different realm than that big matchup. This one is, you know, for for me, I guess. Um, Yeah, they were my dark horse. I saw a lot in them. Uh, And I I really think they're going to get it done against Porto for some reason. Um, they are favorites currently at um, minus 135 on the money line to win this game. Uh, but I really think it's going to come down to Latoro Martinez. He's currently second in the Serie A Golden Boot race with 13 goals, four assists. In the Champions League this year, he has one goal, two assists. So he can he can really do it all. He's an all-round player. I really, really like him. Um, and I think he's going to score a couple goals in, in these two legs. And hopefully in this first leg, and so they'll punch that ticket and keep my my little mojo going with the dark horse, but it's going to be a really, really great matchup. Porto is really good as well, um, but I have my fingers crossed with Inter. I like it. I like it. Well, from around the world, just a couple more things to cover. We have the Carabao Cup final this Sunday, February 26th, Manchester United versus Newcastle. Uh, one important headline to note, Stephen, a bit of a strange goalkeeping situation for Newcastle, right? Oh, yes. Um, if you were paying attention to Newcastle this past week, our friend Nick Pope was sent off with a red card. That means he will not be able to play against Manchester United in this final, which you think, oh, let's go to Dubrovka. The guy that came in, made some great saves coming in. Oh, wait a minute. He's played for Manchester United, so he can't play. He can't do it. So, legally, he is not allowed to play. So, who's up? Third best. We're talking about a final. We're talking about a blonde-haired German. Loris Karius. Yes, the Liverpool goalkeeper that lost in the Champions League final in tears to Real Madrid. Um, you might recall a Gareth Bale goal that went through Luis Karras' hands um, and a bicycle kick as well. It was a tough final for the German goalkeeper, to which I'm not even being a dramatic. His career fell off after this final. Um, but hey, it's a redemption story. 
and I love Rocky. And Loris Carius is my Rocky in this, even though he's literally German, it's opposite of the storyline. Anyways, that's not important. Um, I'm all in on Carius. God, I hope he has a great performance against Manchester United. Uh, this is a guy that is begging for a a good game. He's going to be playing most likely. Uh, obviously, a lot of times haven't been announced or whatsoever, but he's the next man up. Uh, so this will be his first chance to play in a, honestly a meaningful game since that Champions League final against Real Madrid again when he was in tears apologizing to the Liverpool faithful that made the trip out. So I I don't know this is this is the storylines that as a football fan you just love to see. Um, how can you not be romantic about football, right? So. I hope Carries has a great game, but it's going to be a wild final. Man United versus Newcastle. I think you know where my allegiances lie. I hope Newcastle gets the win. It'd be awesome to see. Uh, my money's on Manchester United. Uh, but, yes, I hope I hope the Magpies get it done and lift a trophy. I think it would be something very special for this club. It would be amazing to see. Brandon, do you have a pick for this one? Ooh, I think we talked about this before as well, but... Ten Hag, I think, is is under more pressure to win this than Eddie Howe is. Um, yeah, I, I I do think Manchester United is better, and the table says that as well, the Premier League table. But this is a Cup final, man. This is this is different. Um, oh, I, I I'm gonna be watching. I'm so so excited for this. I I want Newcastle to win, I think, but. Manchester United's form right now, Marcus Rashford, Ten Hag, it seems like they're all figuring it out at the same time. Um, Newcastle's form has dipped a little bit. A weird loss to Liverpool this weekend, uh, which they didn't look bad in, but the red card really just killed the game. It's going to depend on Newcastle's defense, whether they can hold tight and nick a probably 1-0 win. But I don't know. We've seen Newcastle score goals before. So I I think it'll be Manchester United, though. What do you think, Cole? I think it's Manchester United. It's, I can almost already see Rashford and the boys lifting up the trophy. Ten Hag just sitting over there with a little bit of a scowl, not even cracking a real smile, just like thinking we got more business to attend to. And it's just almost a thing like Newcastle fans, like they won't even be mad if they lose because they've just gone from bottom of the table to mid table to now all the way up potentially in top four in such a short amount of time. So they have so much to be proud of. Um, hopefully for them, they can kind of see it as a starting point of, hey, we've we reached a final in the first year of our takeover pretty much. So why can't we continue to progress and play more finals, make it to the Champions League, you know? So I don't have Newcastle winning, but I do think regardless, this is a big win for the club in general. Um, they just won't have the silverware to reflect on that. Um, so I'm excited. I really am. It's going to be a fun matchup. Um but I do think Manchester United will come out on top. Well, over in North America, we've had the She Believes Cup between some of the better women's teams. Uh, Brazil, Japan, the U.S., Canada, all competing against one another. Uh, Some of the results from this past week. On Thursday, we had Brazil winning over Japan. The United States had a 2-0 win over Canada. Uh, Then the U.S. on Sunday went and played Japan and had a 1-0 win. And Canada getting the win over Brazil and as I said earlier, Maui Swanson just continues to score all the goals, it feels like, for the United States. Um, but the next sl- uh, slate of games we have is on Wednesday, Canada and Japan at 4 p.m. Eastern time in the United States and Brazil at 7 p.m. 
as well. So make sure you're watching all the build-up to the Women's World Cup this summer in New Zealand, Australia. Um, get to know the players. Uh, get excited. There really are um, some great talents on this women's national team. Make sure that you're tuning into the She Believes Cup when you can and any of the games that the team plays before this summer. You won't regret the watch. Well, we also want to note that the MLS kits were released this past week, and we have a special episode coming out that you are going to want to watch. Uh, we had a load of fun making it, and we know that you'll enjoy, especially if you're into kit collecting, uh, all the newest gear, you're going to want to see it. We really think it's going to be a special episode, which reminds us that the MLS does kick off this week, um, which we'll review uh, coming up as well. But make sure you don't miss a lot of the games kick off Saturday the 25th. Uh, I'm sure your home club is playing. And if you get the uh, Apple TV season pass, you can watch any game you want. Um, it's definitely going to be worth it if you're a soccer fan of any kind. Well, we have reached our final segment as we do, you betcha. This is our chance to give our locks the things that we can count on happening um, as amateur bettors. You know, don't take this as betting advice. Uh, but Steven always gets to start with his lock of the week, Steve-O. Who do you have as your lock this week? Ah, uh, yes. I am starting with the most unconvincing team in the Premier League. I'm talking about West Ham United. Uh, no, yes. I'm going for a draw against uh, Nottingham Forest. West Ham United is hosting Nottingham. Uh, the money line has it at a 255-plus for a draw. Uh, we touched earlier that we think Nottingham Forest are favorites in this match. Um, I said just by a hair, uh, but West Ham hosting Nottingham Forest, I think this has draw written all over it, uh, so that's going to be my lock-in for the week, plus 255, that's not too shabby, and again, Nottingham Forest looked pretty good, West Ham looked pretty bad, but uh, I think both of these sides might struggle to get the winner, I think that's my lock for the week. I like it. I like it. Brandon, yours? Yeah, I already mentioned them. Napoli, they are plus 115 to beat Frankfurt. That's sort of crazy. I can't believe they're not in the minus for this game. And it's probably because Frankfurt's wonderful fans. The game will be in Frankfurt, but I don't care about all that. Throw that in the trash. Napoli is arguably the best team in the world. They have one of the best wingers in the world. Easy money. Lock it in. Napoli win. You know, it's supposed to be a lock, and you guys gave me a little bit of criticism behind the scenes. But, Brandon, I want to have faith in Aston Villa. They're playing Everton. I want them to get the win. They haven't lost in their past five games against them. It's at plus 200. I just see that the Goodison Park cannot handle the villains. They're my lock. I'm taking Aston Villa plus 200. Unai Emery, please don't let me down. Um, but those are our locks for you, Betcha. Uh, let us know who do you have as your locks this week. Is it the Champions League? Is it MLS? Be really careful betting on MLS. Whoever knows what's going to happen in that league. Um, but definitely some good watches regardless. And thus means that after MLS, you betcha, we have reached the conclusion of yet another episode of the supporter section. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our time together today on the show. If you made it this far, please leave a like. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. Um, it's going to be something you won't regret, I promise. But for the guys and myself, I've been Cole Carter. They have been Stephen Curl and Brandon Katesnick. Enjoy another loaded week of football, including the champions. But until the next one, peace out, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya.